Another year, another 45 Taiwanese internet stories. Can you believe it? I certainly can't. Mentally, I'm still stuck in 2019. Every week, I'm tasked with crafting hashtag Taiwan. I research, write, film, and edit the segment myself. As soon as I'm done with one episode, I have to start thinking about the next one, so I don't really get a chance to reflect and look back on what I cover. Today, we're going to do just that. Join me on this hashtag-only Taiwan Insider. At the end of last year, a New York Times editorial said, pound for pound, Taiwan is the most important place in the world. In May of this year, The Economist published a cover story calling Taiwan the most dangerous place on Earth. The article said tensions between Taiwan and China had the potential for massive conflict. But internet users took issue with the title because... For those of us who live in Taiwan, the label the most dangerous place on Earth seems a little unfair. You're talking about a place with Hello Kitty themed trains. You're talking about a place where a man lost his heirloom watch and found it undisturbed on the side of the street 15 hours later. You're talking about a place where police cars carry teddy bears to comfort children. You're talking about a place where rainbows fall on our tallest landmark. In response to The Economist article, Alex Tichy says, Sure, the threat of a conflict here is very serious, but people in Taiwan are living a very peaceful existence with low crime, great health care, functioning government, and no COVID. It's not the most dangerous place on earth. Jenny Lee tweets, Well, they're not wrong. My friends who visit Taiwan from abroad often gain a couple of pounds before leaving. Quite dangerous, I must say, if you are on a diet. It's worth fighting over good food. The article prompted a campaign where people shared photos depicting nature, friendship, and life in Taiwan to poke fun at the title. One of my favorites is from Gwen Wong Reeves. She tweeted this picture with the caption, You can buy cat-shaped toast in the most dangerous place in the world, Taiwan. I need to find out where I can get that toast. Even Andrew Ryan got in on the fun by posting this dangerous move by a local toddler. I mean, I'd probably let her pinch my nose too. Just look at that face. So long as we're talking about names for Taiwan, let's talk about another one. This one from CNN anchor Fareed Zakaria. In September, Zakaria delivered a five-minute piece praising Taiwan for its democracy, calling the country a bright spot. According to CNN's Fareed Zakaria, Taiwan shines because of its democracy. Last Saturday, Zakaria delivered a five-minute piece about how the world is going through a democratic recession. He says that there's a worrying trend in recent years where countries are abandoning democracy and embracing authoritarianism. Zakaria points out that COVID has contributed to this decline because some world leaders are using coronavirus restrictions as a cover to brutally take down their opponents. He says this is happening in places like Hungary, Venezuela, and Uganda. However, amid all of this chaos, Zakaria says that there's one place that's becoming increasingly democratic. Do you want to take a crack at what place he's talking about? If your answer wasn't Taiwan, then... Dude, what are you doing watching this show? Taiwan ranks 11th in the Economist Intelligence Unit's 2020 Democracy Index, which makes it the highest ranked place in Asia. 
Taiwan jumped 20 spots since 2019, which is more than any other government in the entire world. Zakaria praised Taiwan for its high voter turnouts, its digital democracy initiatives, which encourage public participation in policy creation, and its internet freedom. Zakaria points out that Taiwan's internet is freer than that of Germany and the United States. Many people, whether Taiwanese or simply having lived in Taiwan long term, thank Zakaria for bringing attention to Taiwan's democratic achievements. One person whose presence doesn't surprise me is Taiwanese lawmaker Wang Dingyu who says, Thank you, Fareed, for highlighting Taiwan's democratic achievements. I mean, that guy is always on Twitter. I just see him everywhere. Dave Troba tweets, I feel privileged to live here as a guest and to see how happy the people are about their hard-won rights and identity. To be sure, it is not perfect. No place is. But I have lived in Sweden and Switzerland beyond my USA home, and Taiwan fits in that company. Then there's Alexander Perini who tweets, Thank you for highlighting Taiwan's successful democracy. As freedom is being challenged around the world, the country stands out as a beacon of hope. I also really like this tweet from John Hohohaha Chen who says, Thanks so much for your report. So proud of my country Taiwan and her people. Among all of the praise for Taiwan though, there's one tweet that stands out which makes me kind of nervous. It's from Jay Osterman number 5522 who tweets, if Taiwan falls, it would mark the end of democracy in the world. I mean, do I agree? I honestly don't think so, because that just puts too much pressure on Taiwan to succeed. Now that we got the hard stuff out of the way, let's move on to the lighter side. I've got stories that range from heartwarming to just plain mind-boggling. Let's start out with something a little more out of the ordinary. What would you do for a free meal? Would you help your friend move or maybe enter an eating contest? How about changing your name permanently? Because that's what some people in Taiwan did to get free sushi. It's a story the media is dubbing Salmon Chaos. Don't worry, it's not what it sounds like. Hordes of salmon are not falling from the sky and hurting people by way of blunt force trauma. In Chinese, salmon is gui yu. Remember that because you're going to need it for later. On March 15th, a Japanese sushi restaurant chain announced a special promotion on Facebook. They said that anyone who had Chinese characters that sounded like gui yu in their name could get up to 50% off on a meal at the restaurant between March 17th and 18th. Your name didn't explicitly have to be salmon. As long as it sounded like it, then you'd get a discount. But the restaurant went a step further and said that if you had salmon or gui yu in your name, then you could eat at the restaurant for free. Now, the marketing team must have been having fun, right? After all, no one is really named Salmon. I mean, even if there are, it's probably just one or two eccentric individuals. I mean, surely nobody would legally change their name to Salmon in order to score free food, right? I think you know where this story is going. According to Apple Daily, over the course of four days, 331 people legally changed their name to something salmon-related just to cash in on the free meal. Someone gave themselves a 36-character name, calling themselves Tun Loves Taiwan Abalone Tuna Salmon Snow Crab Sea Urchin Scallop Lobster and Beef Maple Palaideshin Regent Hilton Caesar Park Hotel Royale in hopes of getting more free stuff. I mean, that's pretty forward thinking. This trend got so out of hand that the government had to get involved. The Interior Ministry made a Facebook post which said, don't go somewhere you can't salmon from. And that makes sense when you realize the word for salmon, gui, sounds like the word for return. The Interior Ministry reminded people that under Taiwanese law, you can only change your name three times. So if people aren't careful, they could potentially be stuck with the word salmon in their name. It actually happened to a couple of people. I mean, 
It was bound to happen. I bet you there's someone out there who got the date of the promotion wrong and ended up changing their name to Salmon for no good reason. But that wouldn't be so bad considering other sushi establishments are beginning to offer discounts on sushi for people named Salmon. In fact, businesses are offering lobsters, abalone, pudding, and even cremation urns for people with certain names. Cremation urns. This might seem like all fun and games, but Salmon Chaos has had tangible consequences. For one, the original restaurant said that its kitchen waste increased six-fold over the course of the promotion. Ocean. It's almost like people are okay wasting food as long as they're not paying for it. Now, if any lesson comes out of all of this chaos, let it be this one. Don't change your name to get free stuff. Taiwan may be small, but it has a big impact. For one, it's a huge semiconductor producer, which is pretty important for our technologically advanced society. But one hashtag Taiwan story shined a light on how Taiwan impacted global trade, when a Taiwanese-operated cargo ship jammed up one of the world's most important trade channels. A skyscraper-sized ship called the Ever Given veered sideways while traversing the Suez Canal. It got stuck and clogged a major trade artery for six days. It was estimated that the world lost 9.6 billion US dollars in trade volume for every day the ship was stuck. Now, some of you might be wondering what a ship stuck in Egypt has to do with Taiwan, and I'll tell you. It's Japanese-owned, Taiwanese-operated, registered in Panama, and piloted by an Indian crew. You probably already know that the ship is no longer stuck. My source, IsTheShipStillStuck.com, says the Ever Given was stuck for 6 days, 3 hours, and 38 minutes, costing about 59 billion US dollars in trade. NPR reporter Camilla Dominowski tweeted, asking for stupid ideas to solve the problem. For example, she proposed getting many helicopters to lift one end of the boat. Others jumped in with impractical ideas, like shoving a giant cotton swab up the canal, using industrial-grade lubricant, or putting a ramp over the Ever Given to let other ships jump over it. Then pop culture came to the rescue with people taking ideas from Disney, Godzilla, and cartoons to solve the problem. Other internet users, however, took comfort in the fact that they weren't the ones that clogged the canal. The Higgs boat Swain tweeted, Good news for today. Whatever happens, at least you're not the guy who got his boat stuck in the Suez Canal and broke maritime shipping. And another meme says, You may make mistakes, but at least they're usually not. We can see your mistake from space bad. But the strangest part about this whole ordeal is how much people related to a ship stuck in a canal. A bunch of images of builders trying to dislodge the ever given surfaced, and people began using those images as metaphors to comment on their own work ethic and well-being. For example, here the giant ship is labeled the incessant crushing weight of existence. Next to it is a tiny tractor labeled drinking exactly two beers. You might think that people were relieved when the ship started moving again, but no, actually people were sad to see it go. The last three weeks have been really eventful, but for those who need a refresher, have a look at this meme. It says, Taiwan in 1971. We left the UN and are very sad. However, Taiwan in 2021 is more like we have TSMC and yummy pineapples love salmon, and block the Suez Canal. What a difference 30 years makes. Can you imagine where Taiwan will be in the next 30 years? We're going to be blocking off space canals, tell you what. All the way up in outer space, disrupting intergalactic trade. I like Taiwan. You might even say, I'm quite fond of it. But that's to be expected because I'm Taiwanese. But do you know what's unexpected? A French YouTuber who loves Taiwan so much that he went out of his way to help spread Taiwanese culture. This is Ku. He's a French YouTuber living in Taiwan. This is a peanut ice cream roll. It's a traditional Taiwanese dessert that consists of ice cream, 
cilantro, peanut brittle, rolled up in a flour wrap. Today's topic is at the cross-section of this French YouTuber and peanut ice cream rolls. Last Saturday, Koo uploaded a video to YouTube which is now receiving rave reviews. Last month, Koo ate 10,000 calories worth of taro products to prove how much he loves, well, taro. And then he made a donation to Taiwan's International Cooperation Development Fund, which is developing taro farms in Palau. Palau is a country in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's an archipelago consisting of over 500 islands, and it's one of Taiwan's diplomatic allies. As a show of gratitude, the ICDF invited Ku to visit Palau to check out the taro farms he helped support. Ku agreed to go, but he said he wanted to bring a piece of Taiwanese culture with him to share with the Palauans. Ku said he found out that Palau is hot and the people there like to eat ice cream, so he thought Taiwan's ice cream peanut rolls would be the best item to share with the Palauan people. Ku spent some time developing a recipe for taro ice cream to use in his rolls. Back in the day, and I mean like 50-60 years ago, Taiwanese ice cream vendors rode around on bicycles. They'd honk their horns to let people know that they were nearby, and that's why, in Taiwan, Ice cream is sometimes called Bapu Bapu because that's the sound an ice cream bike makes. Ku purchased a 60-year-old traditional ice cream bike, packed it up, and flew it with him to Palau. When he got there, Ku visited taro farms and using the local taro, he made his ice cream. Ku then unpacked his ice cream bike and hit the streets giving away peanut ice cream rolls in exchange for subscriptions to his YouTube channel. Ku rode around Palau on an unwieldy antique bike with a big metal box filled with homemade ice cream in tow. He went to a Palauan Independence Day event and that's where his business took off. While there, Ku ran into the French ambassador to Palau and asked her to try some Taiwanese ice cream. At the end of the video, Ku had a chance to have one last VIP try his ice cream, and that was Palau's vice president, and she seemed to really sincerely love the ice cream. So let's take a second to unpack here. A French YouTuber went to another country to spread Taiwanese culture. It's not hard to understand why this video is so popular in Taiwan. Ku's commitment to authenticity, from developing his own ice cream recipe to bringing with him an actual vintage ice cream bike is just plain heartwarming. Forces of nature aren't things you want to mess with, especially when it comes to, say, a typhoon. But in April, Taiwanese people hurled insults at a typhoon because it wasn't going to make landfall in Taiwan. Now, why on earth did Taiwanese people want a typhoon to make landfall? Well, check this out. Right now, people in Taiwan would love a typhoon. That's because Taiwan is going through its worst drought in 56 years, and the country actually depends on typhoons to bring rainwater. And last year, not a single typhoon made landfall. The situation has gotten so bad that parts of central Taiwan have cut water supplies two days out of the week. Last week, Typhoon Surigae formed off the eastern coast of the Philippines, bringing with it the hope of rain. However, weather experts quickly predicted that the typhoon would veer back out east into the Pacific, again missing Taiwan. Now, people don't usually try to reason with forces of nature, but people have started to lash out at Surigae. Specifically, they turned to this Plurk thread to vent. Plurk is this Taiwanese Reddit-Twitter hybrid. I don't know why its logo is a headless pig, though. Anyway, the start of the thread is a news story which says surrogate will not directly affect Taiwan. It says that it might even bring with it dry winds. It was at that point that people just unleashed a storm on surrogate. Here are a few entries. Worthless. You are a failure. You are garbage. Have a backbone. Why do you even exist? You may as well have not formed. Go back to where you came from. 
We don't need you. Where do you get off calling yourself a typhoon? It's bad enough that you don't bring rain, but dry winds also? You are a hen that doesn't lay eggs, but instead defecates. And my personal favorite, how dare you call yourself a typhoon when you've never been to Taiwan? People are straight up dogpiling on surrogate. There are about 2,000 comments on the thread, each one just taking pot shots at the typhoon. The thing is, surrogate has intensified into a super typhoon, so it might be better that it didn't pass over Taiwan. I have a sneaking suspicion that surrogate heard what people were saying and got angry. Finally, for our last highlight, I'm going to share with you the most popular hashtag Taiwan segment this year. Remember two weeks ago when I said this? The 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo, Japan will kick off. Be on the lookout for this flag and the name Chinese Taipei. For complex geopolitical reasons that I'm not getting into, Taiwan cannot compete as Taiwan. Well, a lot of news outlets are now picking up on that and explaining why Taiwan can't compete as Taiwan. Here's the thing though, Japanese media broadcaster NHK went out of its way to remind people during the Tokyo 2020 Olympic opening ceremony that Chinese Taipei is actually Taiwan. In fact, they flat out said it. The announcer straight up said Taiwan desk when the team entered the stadium. She basically saw the Chinese Taipei Olympic flag and just went, oh, that's... That's Taiwan. That's Taiwan. It's nice that Taiwan is being recognized as Taiwan because we're already so used to Chinese Taipei. An online user even took to the Taiwanese forum PTT asking, did NHK just make a boo-boo? Did they really just say Taiwan? Was that an accident? You see, even Taiwanese people aren't used to being called Taiwan at the Olympics. Taiwan deaths is a big deal. Here's why. Harvard fellow and Taiwan scholar Lev Nachman tweeted, There is something about the nature of contested states where simply hearing their contested name in an international context brings a sense of resistance to their marginalization. And that is smarty pants speak for, because Taiwan can't be Taiwan at the Olympics, hearing Taiwan said and acknowledged is all the more meaningful. Many memes about the situation show a kind-hearted Japan telling Chinese Taipei it's okay to be referred to as Taiwan. So impactful is the term Taiwan desk that it has become the de facto hashtag for tweeting about Taiwan at the Olympics. You can see it plastered across posts celebrating victories and Taiwanese Olympians. On YouTube, Taiwan desk has close to 120,000 views and around 250 comments, mostly from Japan. It's very nice to know that our Japanese viewers are so supportive of us. I just wish I knew Japanese because that's what most comments coming in are written in. Anyway guys, that's it for our Internet Stories of the Year show. What was your favorite episode of Hashtag Taiwan? Do let me know in the comments below. In the future, don't hesitate to send me any memes or videos that you think are hashtag worthy. Natalie and I will be back next week to share with you our list of Taiwan's People of the Year. Until next week, take care and see you around. This is Radio Taiwan International.
Want to stay up to date or view past RTI programs, videos, and news stories? Come check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Lithuania has become one of Taiwan's biggest friends and allies on the international stage. In November, it welcomed a Taiwanese representative office in its capital, and that led to major sanctions from Beijing. Beijing downgraded their office in Vilnius to a charge de l'affaires, and they even threatened Lithuanian diplomats in Beijing so much that Lithuanian pulled their diplomats out of China. China has also blocked direct train services and trade from Lithuania, and is even using more tactics that affect other countries as well. Now, despite these sanctions, Lithuania is still determined to build closer ties with Taiwan. Earlier this month, the chair of the Lithuanian Parliamentary Group for Relations with Taiwan, Matas Maldekis, led a 10-member Baltic parliamentary delegation to Taiwan to build closer ties. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Mr. Maldekis during his important visit to Taiwan this month, and I asked him how Lithuania felt about Beijing's diplomatic retaliation on their country for building closer ties with Taiwan. We calculated all the possible steps, and we don't have so such a big trade, you know, like that Chinese thinks that we have influence on us in a sense. And we calculated our steps. We understand that it's in uh, our national interest to do that to keep up with Taiwan, help Taiwan in any sense possible, because it's a democratical society, and we help to we have to help democracies uh, around the world. We calculated our possible uh, losses about the, about this, but we understand that it's a question of sovereignty, and we are not selling our sovereignty to anybody. We will look to our national interests, and we will do as we think is in our best interests. Well, um, what if Beijing severed ties with Lithuania? How would you react to that? Well, our ties with uh, mainland China is not as big as uh, as it might uh, look f f looking from here. You know, we didn't sell our ports, uh, Port Klaipeda, to them, and after that, we don't have much economical relationship. China invested in Lithuania only about three million three million euros. It's nothing. We invested in mainland China five times more. That's a paradox. They they have uh, trade surplus with us more than one billion. That also shows that they are dependent more on our market than we do. And cutting ties would uh, cut the jobs here, not with in our in our market. We can find it somewhere else. So it's it's for them to decide. Do they want that? And would they set an example for other countries to see what does it mean have your own opinion when you are dealing with China? That would be example for other European countries. I'm not very sure that China really wants that. Analyzing all the situation they have in Lithuania, I think they have very small playground level, you know, where they can maneuver in a sense, and they understand that. It's a question of broader perspective in a sense, if I may, because what I see when we're talking about China is that they overplayed their card in Europe. What do I mean? 
I recall the WikiLeaks. I know it's not the best, you know, source of information in a sense, but this memo I recall when the Chinese uh, Prime Minister talked with his counterpart in some other country and he told, he told his counterpart uh, in a memo that, you know, I, I'm really not sure of the real situation in China. What does that mean? That means that Prime Minister don't know the real numbers, what is going on. What do I'm referring to? I'm referring to when you live in authoritarian society, the people who work for you want to give you good news. And this good news sometimes is not very good news. But you have to give them good news because you uh, cherish your career, you want to go up by the ladder, or you just want to stay in a society as it is. Sometimes the question of that. That happening, in my opinion, in China's economy, and that happening when you work in some embassy in some European country. What do you do as an ambassador there? You report good news to your capital, telling everything's under control. We're ruling everything. everything everybody's afraid of us. The numbers are good. Everything is very good. And what happens? Uh, the new government in Lithuania came. It got strict views on the democracy values and everything. And uh, China sees that it's got no, not a lot of place to maneuver here. Because again, I'm saying we have to understand numbers. If, if they would lose Lithuania market, in a sense, it's a paradox, but they will lose more. That's a paradox they have to deal with. They have to make their own decision. I'm not sure that that would be in their national uh, economic interests and also setting an example for other European countries. Do you think that they're afraid that your relations with Taiwan are going to affect other EU countries? Exactly. Exactly. My opinion is because if we have a win-win situation relationship with Taiwan, now that might go to the economical ties and other European agencies would see like, you know, that would set an example. It's like those two countries are dealing well, everything is okay, and they are dealing with uh, democracy, they are dealing where is rule of law, you know the rules that you are, that you are coming up and uh, it's a question of time that in those countries the societies would be asking their government uh, their business would, would uh, start to ask their government uh, look we have to have some moves here and, and all this is, we'll have to understand one more dimension one more dimension is the changing views in European Union, in Europe, really regarding China. Uh, European Union institution, as it is, is rapidly changing its views. We see resolution in European Parliament, and European Parliament consists of European parties that work with their national in their national parliaments, in their governments, and that's like you know, political parties in Euro European Union is. Uh, political blood of a system. And uh, when uh, talking in this forum, my main message for that Taiwan politics, when we are talking about parliamentarians, different political parties, is work with European political parties. I know that Taiwan is very active on municipality level in Europe, but my, my just observation, if I would be working in your government uh, would be start to work with European political families. 
the ones in opposition or not opposition, and we have we have new wave of politics in European Union, the green wave as we call it, the world that is also very based on values and everything. The greens that will be in the government in Germany, it's it's a big shift, and uh, Taiwan should use it. That is the chair of the Lithuanian Parliamentary Group for Relations with Taiwan, Mr. Matus Maudekis. I'll be speaking more with him about why Lithuania is engaging Taiwan. Next. Taiwan is a place full of voices, viewpoints, and stories. Hear them all here on Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan, straight from the source. The Sound of the Amish Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. One of the biggest news of the year for Taiwan is Lithuania standing up for Taiwan on the international stage and welcoming a Taiwanese representative office to its capital. Now today I speak with a key person bridging ties between Lithuania and Taiwan, the chair of the parliamentary group in the Lithuanian parliament for relations with Taiwan, Matis Maudekis. I spoke with him during his visit to Taiwan this month. We're very heartened by the increased support for um, Taiwan from, of course, Lithuania and also the European Union. Um, How do you hope that Lithuania can impact the way that the world deals with Taiwan and China? We are setting an example. We are setting an example and, you know, being not the biggest nation in the world as Lithuania is, we are setting an example. As already mentioned it, if we succeed, if our relationship succeed, we assess an example of successful relationship and against the pressure, especially if Chinese with pressure, if they would understand like, you know, they, they can deal with themselves and that that's not a big problem for us, then it's okay. But if you go from the point of fear, because China in this sense is playing from the point of fear, we have to understand that that's not the might, that's a fear talking, then the, it's a d- different format with Lithuania work, and we we you, you have to understand that we are not against anybody. We it's not our it's not our thing to tell anybody what to do. It's a question of our sovereignty when dealing with others. This is what we are talking about. It's not about uh, China per se. It's about uh, Lithuania and Taiwan. You want to have the freedom to engage Taiwan as you like. Exactly. Exactly what I mean. But you're getting a lot of pressure from China. Um, why is it that you're willing to take on China? I know that you have a history of taking on authoritarian regimes. You were the first country to declare independence from the USSR in 1991. Yeah. So why is it that you're willing to take on this pressure from China and the losses that you, you have from China? of the economic losses at this time? Because we understand where the world is moving to. As not a very big nation, we have to deal with realities, geopolitical realities that we're coming to. And geopolitical reality is pretty simple. Uh, the world that we lived, uh, as I call it, greenhouse, 
little bubble that, that we live in that was Bretton Woods world we live in uh, is ending and United States is shifting its view on the world uh, there was di different dynamics here and we just want to be not left alone in a sense in this new world in this new era uh, new era will be more more of what we'll see it's more about democracy against the authoritarian regimes and we want to be clear that we are on the democratic regime side because it's in our national interest. What I always emphasize is national security of Taiwan, this is a paradox of our lives now, is the national security of Lithuania because we live in a domino world, let's call it. Foreign policy is like domino effect. It's if democracy somewhere falls, democracy elsewhere starts to feel pressure. We have to understand that that uh, authoritarian regimes, uh, they sometimes they don't coordinate like now Russia and China do because they coordinate their, uh, their, their moves, uh, China regarding Taiwan and uh, Russia regarding uh, Ukraine and Eastern Europe. They are coordinating the things they, uh, they are doing. And we want to be on the side of democracy because we will not survive as a nation in the world of authoritarian regimes. We understand this clearly. And we, as a not big nation, our biggest strength is truth. Our biggest weapon is truth. Truth is a, always the biggest weapon. But in this sense, it's very big. Because if you, if you have a will and possibility to tell as it is, you can go far away. You are vaccinating. You know, in a sense, you are vaccinating mind, you are vaccinating uh, other nations will have to deal with you straight with you. This is what we want. That is Lithuanian Member of Parliament, the chair of the Parliamentary Group for Relations with Taiwan, Matas Maldekas. Next week, I'll be speaking with him about his personal connection to Taiwan. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Hi, I'm Leslie Liao. Do you love Radio Taiwan International's English content and wish it would never end? Well, who said it has to? The fun doesn't have to stop here. Check out our website, or our Facebook, or our YouTube, or our Twitter. Go to en.rti.org.tw for the latest Taiwan news stories. Check out Radio Taiwan International on Facebook to see great pictures of Taiwan. Go to youtube.com slash RTI English to view some of our great features. And when you're done, tell us what you think on Twitter. Our handle is Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. What are you waiting for? I'm here waiting for your message. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. Hello and welcome to News Playlist. I am Natalie So, and today I'm bringing you highlights from the past week's news. First, let's look at what's going on in defense. Taiwan is sourcing technology and expertise in a bid to get all it needs to produce its own submarines. 
However, some parts and technology are proving harder to obtain than others. The 5.6 billion NT dollar or 200 million US dollar purchase of torpedo decoys from Turkey, for example, has been awaiting approval for months. Defense Minister Chou Guozheng says that developing indigenous submarine technology is a difficult task. However, he said that issues are being resolved, that there are backup plans and that construction is progressing according to schedule. Cho also commented on recent speculation in the U.S. magazine Foreign Affairs that Japan, South Korea and Taiwan may develop nuclear weapons in the next 10 years. He said that such speculation is groundless, as Taiwan has never declared that it is working on such capabilities. Another set of difficult questions was spurred by a recent Reuters report which brought to light the extent of Chinese espionage operations in Taiwan. Among those accused of spying were numerous active and retired military officers as well as people close to President Tsai's personal security detail. Cho said that the defense ministry is trying to raise anti-espionage consciousness among Taiwan's military personnel. He said there exist counterintelligence mechanisms for dealing with such infiltration. He added that he is confident in Taiwan's extensive counter-espionage efforts. According to Cho, many national security cases have already been handed over to the judiciary, though none of them involve high-level secrets. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. Well, as we near the end of the year, we start looking to the year ahead. And here's a perspective on the outlook for Taiwan's economy in the year 2022. First, the good news. Researchers at Academia Sinica predict that Taiwan's economy will grow 3.85% next year. But now for the bad news. That growth will come with inflation that will hit wallets across the country. In their latest forecast, Academia Sinica researchers are predicting that Taiwan's consumer price index will rise 2.04% in 2022. The rising cost of raw materials is in part to blame, but so too is the dizzying price of real estate. Even those not in the market for a home will feel the pinch of inflation next year. With rising prices will likely come rising rents. Academia Sinica economist Zhou Yutian says that some increase in prices is actually good for economic recovery. But that will be little consolation for Taiwan's consumers as they find their purchasing power squeezed over the coming year. John Van Trieste, RTI News. This week also saw the winter solstice, which is a time where many people celebrate by eating rice dumplings. Very delicious and sticky and warm. Such a great dessert on the winter solstice, but uh, that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about another tradition in southern Taiwan. A Taoist priest is performing a ritual that is meant to drive away fire demons. After lighting the firecrackers, the priest then leads a procession to chase the fire gods out of the village. Every household is asked to turn off the lights in their houses. What's special this year is that Taiwan Power Company offered to turn off all the streetlights as well. The Baoji Temple in Tainan's Jiangjun district has been holding the ceremony every winter solstice for 135 years. They started the tradition because in the old days, making cotton quilts was a common trade in the area, and houses back then had thatched roofs. Everyone used this practice to avoid fires. It then became a tradition that has been passed down to the next generation. Shirley Lin, RTI News. Taiwan has a lot of traditions that go way back, but we're also looking into the future. Taiwan has a lot of great tech inventions. Here's a report about that. Taiwan is sending 50 tech companies to the Consumer Electronics Show, CES, in the United States, with an additional 50 Taiwanese companies participating virtually in the event. 
CES will be hosted from January 5th to 8th, but on Tuesday, the Taiwan Tech Arena shared some of Taiwan's most exciting inventions. One of the top teams invented a disinfectant solution that is created using water and electrode oxidation. The team says this is a more environmentally friendly and convenient sanitizer. Since the disinfectant is water-based, it doesn't irritate the eyes or skin and isn't flammable like alcohol-based solutions. This new sanitizer is also better because it doesn't include any chemical stabilizers or preservatives. Another company has created a smart wireless translation device. In order to use the tool, people just need to speak into the microphone and a translation will be automatically sent to an app on the listener's phone. Currently, the app provides translations in Mandarin, English, Japanese, and Korean, and its instant translation has a 70 to 80 percent accuracy rate. Science and Technology Minister Wu Zhengzhong says that Taiwan is full of resourceful and innovative tech companies. He says it's essential for these businesses to make connections with other international organizations. Doing so will open the door for even more investment opportunities and for Taiwan's tech industry to expand on a global level. Emma Banak, RTI News. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. So yes, we are looking into the future this time of year, and we're excited to reveal some plans about the high-speed railway and an upcoming stop. It's finally here. A finalized plan to build a high-speed rail station in eastern Taiwan's Ilan County. The process has taken a long time, mostly due to disagreements over where in the county the station should be located. In addition, politicians wanted to make sure the project had minimal impact on local residents, in terms of relocating homes to accommodate construction. The location will be 350 meters south of Ilan County government's complex. In addition, a new train station will be built at the same place to make transfers between traditional train lines and high-speed rail more convenient. Transportation Minister Wang Guotai says this plan has been in the works for over two years. The station's placement decision came after taking expert analysis and the local opinions into account. This new high-speed rail extension will cover almost 60 kilometers and cost about 188 billion NT dollars. Construction will begin in 2025, and the project will be completed in 2036 at the earliest. Although 15 years is a long time to wait, making Taiwan's beautiful East Coast more accessible is sure to excite people. Emma Banak, RTI News. We also have another story about the high-speed rail, and it has to do with safety concerns. Here's the report from Shirley Lin. Gaoliang, a kind of sorghum, is growing near the high-speed rail tracks in Yuning County, in place of the former rice fields. That's because the area saw the ground sinking due to over-pumping of groundwater. Gaoliang doesn't use as much water as rice to grow. For the first half of the year, Taiwan experienced the worst drought in 56 years. As a result, farmers in the area were pumping more groundwater to irrigate their paddy fields, causing the ground to sink. 
The affected surface went from 100 square kilometers last year to 500 square kilometers this year. The county is now encouraging farmers to switch to growing gaoliang and to use less groundwater. Instead, the farmers are advised to divert river water or artificial lakes for irrigation. Shirley Lin, RTI News. Listen, are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. You're listening to News Playlist on Radio Taiwan International, our recap of the week's news. Here's a story about a tea competition. A panel of expert judges sip cup after cup of fragrant tea. Their goal is to pick the 10 outstanding domestically produced tea leaves. Lugu Township is located in central Taiwan's Nantou County. Officials there organized a winter tea competition. However, when organizers posted the competition results, another announcement turned heads. Five growers were disqualified for entering foreign tea. Lin Yineng from the Lugu Farmers Association says this was the first time organizers employed DNA tests in the competition. The disqualified contestants will be treated as first-time offenders. The Lugu Farmers Association chose to forgive this time, but it doesn't exclude the possibility of pursuing legal action against these rule breakers if they try and pull another fast one. Out of over 5,000 submitted tea leaf types, DNA testing helped identify 41 from five growers that were not grown in Taiwan. Lab technicians subjected tea samples to testing, which included looking at trace elements and extracting DNA material from the plants. The results show whether a sample came from Taiwan or elsewhere. Ms. Liu, a local grower, is happy, saying that these new methods will deter competitors who don't play by the rules. Growers say that this kind of testing can protect Taiwan's tea industry and boost customer confidence. Taiwan is set to be the scene of a new movie. Let's end today's news playlist with this report from Thomas Cooper. The $10 million movie Love Boat Taipei has began filming in Taiwan. It is a co-production between Taiwan's One Production and Hollywood-based Ace Entertainment Films. Love Boat Taipei follows big-budget productions like Lucy and Silence, which were also shot in Taiwan. Director Arvin Chen, producer Matthias Mellinghaus, author Abigail Xingwen, as well as actors Mason Lee and Janet Xie met with the media on Wednesday. Love Boat Taipei has been adapted for the big screen from a best-selling novel by Asian-American writer Abigail Xingwen. The story is set against the backdrop of the Overseas Compatriot Youth Taiwan Study Tour, a summer study program for college-age students of Taiwanese and ethnic Chinese backgrounds. The program was started in 1967 and continues to this day. It is informally known as The Love Boat. The author hopes that characters in her story will add variation to typical mainstream representations of Asians in Hollywood, where characters of Chinese and other Asian backgrounds are often boiled down to just good-looking and smart. Mason Lee, the son of Academy Award-winning Taiwanese director Ang Lee, says that there are a few prevalent stereotypes of Chinese Americans in mainstream American culture. Those characters are often nerds or hunks. He hopes that audiences will be able to see a more varied cast of personalities in the upcoming movie. Actress Janet Xie says that a story like this one could bring about even more opportunities for Asian filmmakers. 
She says this is just the beginning and she hopes more movies will be made by Taiwanese directors in Taiwan. Director Arvin Chen says that his background is also Chinese and that this is the first time he is cooperating with a Hollywood crew. He says that differences in movie-making cultures are both interesting and a source of challenge. However, he says that the language of cinema is common for everyone and that it won't be a problem for this unique Taiwan Hollywood production. Tomasz Koper, RTI New. Thank you for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International, Taiwan's national broadcaster. We hope you enjoyed our programs. You can catch all of our latest news, audio, and video features on our website at en.rti.org.tw. Again, go to our website en.rti.org.tw for engaging news, videos, and programs about Taiwan. If you'd like to hang out on social media, RTI is there too. Our Facebook URL is Radio Taiwan International. And you can watch our engaging video features, including the weekly news magazine program Taiwan Insider, on our YouTube channel, RTI English. Again, our YouTube channel is RTI English. For those who enjoy the Twitter sphere, our handle for Taiwan Insider is at Taiwan Insider. For RTI English, it's at Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. And if you'd like to enjoy us on your smartphone, just download our app RTI to go. That's one of the best ways to enjoy all our news, videos, and programs. That's RTI to go. If you're a shortwave listener, we have two channels in Asia. For South Asia, tune into 6100 kilohertz from 1600 to 1700 UTC. To Southeast Asia, you can hear us on 15320 kilohertz from 0300 to 0400 UTC. We would love to know what you think of our programs. Email us at english at rti.org.tw. Thank you again for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International. Music